The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. I'm Valdana Hyrek, a markets reporter at Bloomberg, filling in for Stacey Marie Ishmael. It's Wednesday, November 2nd. We all know crypto is notorious for its volatility, and all the wild swings that we see in prices have been a trademark of the market for years. And it's also something that's been shaping the trading behaviors of investors who are sometimes looking to make a very quick profit. So what happens when the market's largest digital asset, Bitcoin, starts losing its volatility? Over the last four months, the coin's been trading in a very tight range of around $20,000 a coin, and it's been unable to break out in any real way. So how have crypto investors who are used to those ups and downs been responding? And how have their investing strategies shifted? For more on how traders are dealing with Bitcoin's stagnation, we're joined by Katie Greifeld, markets reporter at Bloomberg. If you've been in this space for a long time, you're sitting on still just magnitudes of gains. Katie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I hope we have a really good time. I'm a little bit nervous. I feel like the bar is high. It's extremely high. Yeah. Filling in for Stacey Marie. Jeez. High for me, high for you. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a you problem. The stakes are high for you. Because <laughs> you need to do a good job. Can I ask you a question here, too? <clears throat> no. Okay, I'm going to. <laughs> so we've been talking about how Bitcoin's been hovering around the $20,000 range for a couple months now. And my first question for you is, is Bitcoin boring? I feel like it's super boring. When you look at almost every other asset class that exists, you have stocks, of course. You have treasury bonds, which have just gone insane. And then don't even get me started on the currency market. When you look at the, I don't want to get the great British that. pound, it's just been totally erratic. So I feel like when you compare Bitcoin to its own history and when you compare it to the rest of the investment landscape, it's super boring. Because people are used to huge swings in crypto prices, right? That's kind of what it's known for, I feel like. So now that we have prices sort of just like meandering around 19,000 on a very good day around 20,000, volatility has also gone down. Can you talk about that and what that means? So I think this is probably a long-term problem for crypto when you think about what attracted a lot of traders to the cryptocurrency sphere over the past two years, particularly during the pandemic, it's supposed to be exciting. It's supposed to be fun. Now you're just stuck in this range. It feels like a lot of narratives have sort of fallen apart, which I know we'll get to. So I feel like crypto's having a bit of an identity crisis, but I think part of the reason why you're seeing Bitcoin just sort of trade sideways and go in a straight line sideways versus what we're seeing in almost every other asset class it feels like the marginal seller is gone. They've already been flushed out. All you're left with is the hardcore believers who might be depressed, but 
I don't think they're going to sell. You're hitting on a million topics I want to touch on with you, (laughs) one of them being the narratives. But maybe just talk a little bit more about why it is that prices haven't really been able to break out. Because I know a couple months ago, for example, we had a really big announcement between BlackRock and the Mm -hmm. crypto platform Coinbase. BlackRock chose to partner with Coinbase because of its scale in the market. This news coming out with Coinbase and with BlackRock showing that the institutional demand to be able to trade crypto through some of the more you know, traditional huge players in the market it is not slowed down. And in fact, as the saying goes, that this is the time to build, people are obviously building now. And I think Bitcoin rally like one or two percent that day. Nothing. Wait, it's nothing. For Bitcoin, it's nothing. So you would have thought maybe that the reaction would have been just much larger. You mentioned the stock market where we've been going through periods seeing stocks rallying and Bitcoin's still stuck. Why is it that there's not been a catalyst really to help it break out. Let's talk about the ceiling and the floor on that range. I think I'll start with the floor, which goes back to the point I made that the marginal seller is gone. I mean, I track the world of ETFs and exchange-traded fund-like products pretty closely. Bloomberg Intelligence has some great data, which is if you look at previous quarters, there was a lot of selling from global crypto tracking funds. And then if you look at the most recent quarter, you really didn't see that many outflows because, again, that seller had already left. We've already seen this enormous depressing drawdown, which has far outpaced the declines that we've seen in the stock market. So I feel like that is acting as a bit of a support on the downside, uh, why you're not seeing a breakout there. And then on the upside, even with those incremental pieces of good news, the big backdrop hasn't changed. And that is the Fed is actively raising rates, tightening monetary policy, taking liquidity out of the system. And it feels like that is really the huge factor here that just isn't an environment where sort of speculative asset classes are going to do that well. And that, I think, is what's been extinguishing every rally that maybe looks like it's going to get off the ground. I love this point about the Fed. I love talking about Thank this. Thank you. Because I remember a couple of years ago during the pandemic, you and I used to write stories about mm-hmm. the very, very popular money printer go burr meme. Oh, yeah. Maybe you can tell our listeners what that was and how it's relevant today. That was just the idea of quantitative easing, just the Fed buying a ton of bonds, every single bond it could get its hand on during, again, the grips of the pandemic when it was just trying to keep the entire system functioning. So that was Jerome Powell sort of cranking the whirring money printer. I'm describing it badly. Just go to Twitter. It's a great meme. Really great meme. It's a really great (laughs) great meme. Uh, But that was the idea of printing money, that they're just making money out of thin air uh, that's going to devalue fiat currencies. That hasn't happened. The dollar is really strong right now. But if you think about the inverse of that meme, money printer, I don't know. It has a glitch. Dies. Uh, Dies. That's that's what's (laughs) happening now. It's basically they're sucking the money out of the system. All that money that was created is coming out. The Fed is actively whittling down its balance sheet slowly, but it's happening. And just the signal that this is what the Fed intends to do. It intends to shrink its balance sheet. That's really weighing on every stripe of risk asset right now, which Bitcoin, crypto in general, definitely falls into that camp. Maybe the ultimate one even. Yeah. The purest measure of risk appetite. Of sentiment, too. Mm-hmm. Glitch was a reference to uh, one of the new Taylor Swift songs. I actually didn't even catch that. Oh, my god! Which one? 
Glitch. It's called Glitch. Oh, well, that would be easy. <laughs> but remember, you and I wrote a great story, I think, in anticipation of the Fed's liftoff hike back in March, that this will be the true test of whether or not crypto was a bubble. Because if you think about the Fed's last rate hiking campaign, it was it ended in 2018. And if you think about where Bitcoin and the crypto sphere was at that point, it was a much less large system. There just wasn't as much money involved. I mean, I think Bitcoin was under five grand a coin. So the stakes were much higher this time around. And I mean, it's still early days, I guess. But it seems that so far, the bubble has been popped. But how smart were we to write that story? You know, we were so on the ball. We're so ahead of our time. Yeah. I hope our bosses are listening. Yeah. Stacey Marie, I hope you're listening. <laughs> so you mentioned the the different narratives. And we've talked on this podcast before about, you know, some of the narratives that have existed around Bitcoin in particular, where, you know, people used to say that it's an inflation hedge or that it's a store of value. And the narratives really have been shifting over the last couple of years, especially this year, as mm-hmm. prices have been crashing. So what when you talk to people... What do they tell you the narratives are or what even when you're on Twitter, when people are talking about crypto, mm-hmm. what narratives are they associating with the space? They tell me to zoom out, honestly, because I've asked a few different people in a few different formats. Can we put the inflation hedge meme narrative to bed? It feels like it absolutely hasn't worked. We're dealing in the U.S. with the hottest inflation in 40 years. Bitcoin is what, down over 50 60% year to date. And I mean, the answer still that I get is zoom out. It hasn't been around for long enough. In the grand fullness of time, this will work. Uh, so I feel like that narrative, most would tell you, okay, it's, we've uh, debunked that one, but there's. Put it to bed. We put it to bed, but some are still hanging on to it. The store of value is something I still hear that, you know, this is still the place where you want to put your money if you're worried about governments basically inflating away the value of their currencies. Obviously, that narrative has been a bit more challenged recently. The narrative that I feel like has fallen away is Bitcoin as a means of payment. I don't see a lot of people making the case that this should be a currency you use day to day. To pay for coffee. Exactly. To pay for your Taylor Swift album. Exactly. I'm not going to, you know, buy a piece of pizza or concert tickets to the next Taylor Swift show with my Bitcoin. So can I come with you? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Uh, We'll be paying with, you know, the good old greenback, probably. In terms of what the next narrative will be, though, that really drives the space forward for better or for worse, I'm not sure what that will be. I haven't heard a clear consensus around what's next. I love the one on Twitter that's 1BTC equals 1BTC. Have you seen that? What does that mean? Tell me what that means. Who knows? It means (laughs) one Bitcoin is always going to be worth one Bitcoin. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Does that make me want to buy it? It should. Yeah. This is what people on Twitter are hoping. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm not necessarily the target audience for that one. Yeah, I am. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like you hear that a little bit around or more than a little bit around stable coins. Oh, really? I don't know. What do people say about stablecoins? One stablecoin. Oh, yeah, of course. There's one stablecoin. Yeah. But I, th- I think the one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin is just the idea that it's crashed. Mm-hmm. But there's hope. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see if it gets down to $1 and then one Bitcoin will be... $1. $1. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. dark. You're going to get hate on Twitter for that. Bring it. I didn't say it. Don't <laughs> at me, please. 
Up next, more with Bloomberg reporter Katie Greifeld on how investors and traders are adapting to Bitcoin's lack of volatility. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Okay, so we're, we're talking about how Bitcoin's been hovering around 20,000. Volatility has come down. The space has become a little bit more boring. You and I also, over the last couple of years, have been writing quite a bit about how there's so many opportunities within the crypto space if you're a trader mm-hmm. to take advantage and potentially make a quick buck mm-hmm. or to sort of take advantage of some arbitrage or some discrepancy within the market. So Mm -hmm. if things are a little bit more boring now, what are people doing? This is a great question because it brings me back to the days where I covered actual currencies for Bloomberg News. I started at Bloomberg as a traditional currencies reporter covering the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. And back when I was doing it, it wasn't fun. Nothing was happening. There was absolutely no volatility in the space at all. I'm talking about like 2017 to 2018. So I wrote a lot of these stories about, okay, you're a currency trader. How do you make money? You run a hedge fund. You have to make money. What are you doing? So it's kind of a similar idea here. And you had a great story on this, actually. Thank you. Uh, Part of the way that people are making money is that they're selling options on crypto. This is a way to make money in a sideways market, not necessarily taking a directional bet. And that, you know, rhymes with some of the stuff that you saw in traditional currencies back in the dark days of no volatility. I thought this was interesting, too. There are some people going long. Uh, You spoke to a portfolio manager at Ledger Prime. So, I mean, hope springs eternal, I guess, there. Well, that's the big point, right? And and I remember speaking to somebody else at Valkyrie, which is a crypto asset manager, and they said if Bitcoin comes down to $17,000 or $18,000, mm-hmm. that they're actually buying at that level. Mm-hmm. So is this something else that we're seeing where you do have people who are just going to be long-term? And I really mean like long-term yeah. believers in the space. And they're finding opportunities yeah. when prices come down. And to that point, if you've been in the space for a long time, I mean, we spoke a little bit about where Bitcoin was at, at sort of the peak of the last rate hiking cycle. We're talking, what, $3,500 per coin. Even now at like $19,000, $20,000, if you've been in this space for a long time, you're sitting on still just magnitudes of gains. So that makes sense that if you're a long-term believer that you would just sort of cover your eyes and keep buying because the line will go up. There will be other Octobers the line to look go forward up. to. Yeah, yeah, October. This last point in this great article that you wrote is really interesting to me. I think we should look into this more. 
basically creating a distressed asset market strategy when it comes to some of these DAOs. Tell me more. Those decentralized (laughs) autonomous organizations. I'm still wrapping my mind around them, but basically they're supposed to allow the holders to vote on different proposals. It's a different way to run a business. They have treasuries, like they have treasury assets, not treasury bonds that they're sitting on. And in some cases, those treasuries are in distress. The prices of the treasuries are beneath the treasury value. Yeah. So that's a really interesting arbitrage. And to, you can force the DAO to potentially vote on yeah. distributing that money, right? Which is cool. That feels like another traditional finance strategy coming into the world of crypto. So I guess, you know, if you you want to fight, that's one way to do it. Sort of force a DAO to liquidate the treasury and then take those assets. Are you up for a fight? I'm up for covering someone who wants to fight. If anyone here is running that specific strategy, that's fascinating. Call us. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting way to sort of pick through some of the speculation that we saw, especially in DAOs, because DAOs were so hot, I feel like, a couple of months ago, a year ago, too. There was something about stealing the Constitution, not stealing, buying buying the Constitution. I'm thinking about stealing the Declaration of Independence. Oh, no, Nicholas Cage. Yeah, no, 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 no. (laughs) Buying the Constitution. So there was a lot of that froth. And, you know, just as you would see in sort of the distressed bond market, people are trying to capitalize on that. Yeah. This was the most fun conversation I've ever had. This was the best. This was the best part of my day so far. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You can find more of Katie Greifeld's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal on Bloomberg.com and on Twitter. She's at Kay Greifeld. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, we're going to talk about Bitcoin miners who've been having what can reasonably be described as a very bad time of late. Falling Bitcoin prices and soaring energy costs make for a tough combination for the companies in this sector. For more on the challenges facing these miners, tune in tomorrow. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.